Next on BYU Sports Nation, Cougar football hits the national spotlight in Sports Illustrated. Spencer Hadley opening up about his five-game suspension. Incredible details surrounding a very emotional week. The man who wrote the article, Jeff Benedict, joins us with must-hear insight about what makes BYU football so special. Plus, why Spencer Hadley's All-American teammate Kyle Van Noy specifically is unlike any other player in college football. This is BYU Sports Nation on the BYU Radio Sports Network. It is Wednesday, September 25th. I'm Spencer Linton, teamed up with Jerem Jordan, wherever and however you may be listening, BYU Sports Nation. Thanks for making us part of your day. Dynamic, engaging story in Sports Illustrated just came out on SI.com, written by acclaimed author Jeff Benedict, an LDS guy from the East Coast, doesn't have direct ties to BYU, didn't go here, uh, but certainly has had unparalleled access with the BYU football team. And you can read a ton about that in his book. Uh, It's called The System, The Glory and Scandal of Big-Time College Football. He wrote an additional article on Spencer Hadley, as I mentioned, just came out today, and his five-game suspension. It's so good, we threw out our rundown in, in lieu of this article because it's, it's that good. And Jeff uh, spent a ton of time with BYU last year for this book. And then he, was, he went to the Virginia game. He lives in Virginia. Uh, and then the, over the weekend, he was here Wednesday through Saturday, I believe, was on the sidelines. We were hanging out with him during the game a little bit. So he ends up spending time with Spencer Hadley, unbeknownst to everyone. Even us, who we taped an interview with him for True Blue last week that aired on Monday. We taped an interview with him last week for today's show, which you'll hear from him about his book and some great stuff uh, that we've mentioned about Kyle Van Noy, about BYU's program that you don't want to miss. And then this morning, about an hour ago, an article comes out about Spencer Hadley that takes you to this fireside uh, at the Utah State Prison that people have been talking about. And then Spencer Hadley speaks on what happened. Were there NCAA violations? Was there alcohol? We're going to dive into that and take you through this article. Yeah, friendly reminder, you can listen to BYU Sports Nation on BYURadio.org, the BYU Radio iOS app, Sirius XM Channel 143, and Dish Network 980. You can also catch the show on demand every afternoon on the BYU Radio YouTube channel. That is how you listen, and this is how you join the conversation. Send your tweets to at BYU Sports Nation, and of course, vote in our daily poll question at BYUTVSports.com. Today's question is this, uh, weigh in on BYUTVSports.com. Which BYU defender not named Kyle Van Oy has the most NFL potential? Uh, Bronson Kafusi, Daniel Sorensen, Ethan Manu Malayuna, or Alani Fua? Uh, if you think uh, Spencer Hadley's in there, or any other defender... Tweet us, at BYU Sports Nation. Weigh in on that question. We'll update the results and read your tweets throughout the show. Jeff Benedict, again, uh, releasing an article on Spencer Hadley. Just came out. Jeremy and I literally just wrapped up reading the article a couple of times a a few minutes ago. And we will take you through uh, basically the gist of that and share with you some of our favorite parts. You can see the whole article, read the whole article for that matter, uh, by following us, and, and we just tweeted out the link. Jerem did, I did. The uh, BYU Sports Nation account has also sent out that link. The the part that I love the most about this article is that this is a redemption story. It's not it's not out to get Spencer. And obviously last week, because it was the Utah week, it was frustrating from fans' perspective of, well, maybe this hurts our chance chances against Utah. And the BYU defense still played well. 
But this is a story about Spencer Hadley's redemption as an individual. And we're going to get into that more about how BYU's program is more than just football. And this story really accentuates that fact. And Jeff has some great insight. I emailed Jeff this morning and asked him, were you at the prison? And did you, you personally talk to the, the Hadleys? And he said, yes and yes. So he was there. Now, this guy has really uh, access like no other rider in the country to this BYU football program. And he has a great relationship with Bronco Mendenhall. He has a great relationship with a lot of the players, including Kyle Van Noy, uh, whom he had a conversation with before the BYU-Utah game that uh, was really just an exclusive between Jeff and Kyle. I mean, that, that's, that's who this guy is. And so a lot of validation uh, when he writes an article and very credible within the BYU sports community. So the story starts, of course, last Tuesday when BYU announces that Spencer Hadley has been suspended. Uh, it comes out for a minimum of five games due to an honor code violation. Uh, later, you know, the information comes out about a Utah booster and the Utah compliance and email shared and a picture comes out uh, on Deadspin. All of that came out. But what we're going to – we now fast forward to Friday. BYU typically does firesides. When they're at home, they do one, maybe two a year. The next fireside, by the way, for BYU is in Logan on Thursday – uh, at the Providence Stake Center, if you're interested in going there, for those in Logan. We fast forward to Friday. BYU is going to go to the Utah State Prison to give a fireside. Unique in and of itself. Spencer Hadley um, decides he's going to go. But when he goes to the hotel where BYU's meeting before they go, he's reluctant. In fact, he, t- he, he said, I wasn't sure I wanted to be around the team, Hadley said in this article by Jeff Benedict on SI.com. I felt the shame of what had happened. He texts an assistant coach, and then the assistant coach, who is unnamed here, texts back, you should get on the bus. Yeah, and it wasn't until Hadley was inside the prison with his teammates, and I'm quoting Jeff Benedict here, that he knew he had done the right thing. Roughly 100 inmates in green and white jumpsuits sat in chairs in a small gymnasium. So the team's filing in, they're coming in, and you can imagine the atmosphere uh, as they have an opportunity to speak to these men that have have made mistakes. Uh, and, And here comes Spencer Hadley, who to a degree is kind of feeling the same way. So it's set up for an unbelievable turn of events. Like, almost inspired. So Coach Mendenhall uh, delivers a keynote address after uh, two teammates uh, spoke. They sang, they sang a hymn. I imagine they prayed. Um, and then the last inmate to raise his hand after some questions from Mendenhall told Mendenhall that they, they'd all be tuning into the game the following night. Mendenhall thanked them and turned to sit down. Uh, Benedict uh, then says, Before he reached his seat, an inmate in the back shouted, Put Hadley in! And quoting again, the room went dead quiet. Mendenhall pivoted and looked at Hadley, who met his gaze. Do you want to say something, Mendenhall mouthed. Do you want me to, Hadley mouthed back. Mendenhall nodded. Hadley stood up and joined the head coach in front of everybody. Can you imagine the feeling in that room at that point? I mean, do you I think— I imagine there was some nervous tension, like, oh, what? well, what do we do? What, what am I supposed to do? Yeah. Do you, do you think Spencer, at, that, at any moment, as he was driving to the hotel— when he was questioning whether he even wanted to get on the bus, thought, I'm going to be addressing the inmates tonight. I mean, it was a challenge. It was a battle for him to even get on the bus to go. And here he is now, not only speaking in front of the inmates, but in front of his entire football team, which in his words, he said, I I let everybody down. I felt shame. I didn't want to be around them. What an incredible setup. And the most coming off the most humiliating experience of his life, because he's a football player, the joys are... 
accentuated and you're celebrated. And when you mess up, your mistakes are highlighted by the country because you go to BYU and because of uh, you know what you stand for. So then uh, Mendenhall said, Spencer's made some mistakes recently. He's going through a hard time. I'm not going to say anything more. I'll let him tell you the rest. And then Spencer addresses the inmates. Yeah. As, and as he's talking, uh, he begins to offer up a very heartfelt, and this is, again, on the account of, of Jeff Benedict, who was there, who's witnessing all of this. He was on the bus, by the way, with BYU the whole way. And uh, Spencer basically says, look, I've, I've made mistakes, and I, I need to suffer the consequences of, of my mistakes. Um, and to quote, it, I mean, it's so good, I'm just going to read it to you. Every inmate's eyes were locked on Hadley. After a long silence, he cleared his throat, shared a scripture about vile sinners that had been forgiven by Christ. I've done some things that have embarrassed my family, my teammates, my school, and even my church. He said, but I believe in redemption. And at that point, the inmates are all nodding. They are totally engaged. So this kid has now entered into this new realm, and he's pulling everybody in. And then can you imagine the feeling that was there? Yeah, this is how it's described. One inmate, uh, so once once Hadley finished, he stood and, and uh, hugged Mendenhall, and then one inmate rose to his feet and started clapping. A second inmate joined him. A third stood up. Soon every inmate was on his feet shouting and clapping. At this point, every prison official and armed guards were wiping tears from their chants. Chants of BYU, BYU echoed off the prison's concrete walls. It was louder. This is my favorite line of the whole article by... Jeff Benedict. It was louder than the roar inside the stadium on a Saturday afternoon. I got chills. I got I had chills for most of this article when, I, when I'm reading this and then, and imagining what it would be like to be there. Just just incredible stuff. I know I'm saying that. I said I think I've said incredible like seven times in the first ten minutes of this radio show, but I can't think of another way to describe it. My favorite quote from Spencer's address is this: "I know who I am. I know who you are." Speaking of the prisoners, we're all children of a heavenly father. All of us in this room have made mistakes. Not one of us qualifies as being the vilest of sinners. Yet, having made mistakes, I know that we can change and we can come back and right the wrongs that we've done. Boom! I mean, that is that is great stuff. And an incredible experience, a cathartic experience for... Spencer Hadley in that prison, and for BYU's team, because obviously BYU is stated over and over, and Bronco Mendenhall has led this charge, that BYU is more than, more than just a football program. They're not just building NFL players, they're building men. And we're going to hear from Jeff Benedict more about that from his book that yeah. features BYU. It's a college football book, it's not about BYU, but it prominently puts BYU in there with every other major school in the country. I spoke to Bronco Mendenhall last Friday uh, right before the Utah game, sat down with him for about 15 minutes, and we definitely talked about Spencer. And I know Spencer a little bit on a personal basis. He's a really nice kid. And the first thing I said to Bronco was, look, I, I know Spencer a little bit. He's a good kid. And he stopped me and he said, Spencer is a great kid. He's one of the best people I know. And I know he's going to be better for having gone through this. And I, that told me a lot about the relationship that Bronco has with Spencer. Like, when Bronco says he loves Spencer, there's no denying that. And he said, this is, this is one of the hardest things I've ever had to do, was suspend somebody that I love and care so much about. But he knows 
This is more than about football and about winning a football game. This is about, as Jeff Benedict will later tell you, this is about becoming a man, this program. And Hadley owned up to what he did. So we, prior to this article, we had not heard from Spencer Hadley. And in this article by Jeff Benedict on SI.com, uh, reading it here on BYU Sports Nation, the following was stated. Uh, so in, rela- uh, in relation to what Hadley did in Vegas, he said he had gone to clubs, this is Benedict speaking, and on more than one occasion and consumed alcohol. The photo that came out had been taken over the summer. The most recent trip to Vegas had happened during BYU's bye week following its victory over Texas. Hadley on this, this last trip two weeks ago had told a friend he'd not be returning to Vegas again. He said, I came to the decision on my own that this is not who I am or what I'm about. I didn't feel... Uh, like the way I felt after leaving that place. So I had planned to talk to my coach about it, set the record straight, but the email came in before I got to it. As for NCA violations and those allegations, Benedict says the following. Hadley said they were blameless, uh, baseless. BYU verified that by checking out so-called booster Jacob Stocking. His name appeared in no BYU athletics database. Turns out he's a family friend of Hadley. The family said that Stockings never attended a BYU football game, much less supported the program financially. Yeah, so you can you can put those concerns to rest. Uh, it is what it would seem to be strictly honor code, nothing else haywire going on at that point. Um, what I loved about it is Spencer said, "I'm I'm not sorry um, that I got caught. In fact, I think he's grateful that he got caught, and now he has an opportunity to rectify things and and get that redemption he's he's looking for." And again, you can read the article that we're referencing on SI.com by Jeff Benedict. If you follow uh, either Spencer underscore Linton or at Jerem Jordan, we've tweeted the article within the last hour. So make sure you go and check that out. Also, we'll hear from more from Jeff Benedict about his book and about what makes BYU unique. And Kyle Van Oy had a kind of a similar experience out of high school and had to wait an, a whole year, not just five games per se, but a whole year. And I loved Kyle Van Oy's text quoted in here to Hadley. Uh, after he found out that uh, Hadley had been suspended, he said, I love you, kid. Haven't slept since I heard the news. I know you haven't either. I just want to let you know I support you and have nothing but love. You're a good man. I know that with all my heart. We all make bad decisions. Just know that I stand by you through anything you do. Much love, KVN. And KVN had gone through something like this. Yeah, he's, this In is fact, the guy worse, who's had mistakes. He had legal issues. Yes. There's no broken laws associated with what Hadley did. It's honor code violations. Um, and so if there's anyone that knows what that was like, it was Kyle Vanway. I'm going to skip ahead a little bit to something that Spencer's mother said. Um, and Jeff spoke at length with Spencer's parents, with Spencer in the room as well. And uh, quoting his mother, she said, uh, BYU's football team, sorry, she wiped away a turn and smiled. We take the honor code seriously. She continued, it is who we are. But honestly, if I was under a microscope during my early 20s, and had my mistakes put all over ESPN, it would be humiliating. For sure. End quote. They get it. They understand. And you love your kid. It's disappointing, yeah. It's embarrassing, yes. But ultimately, you love your child, and you want to do whatever you can to help them get back to where they need to be. So, I, you know, I, I don't play rah-rah a lot, um, but when I see things like this, it makes me want to be better. Like, I want to be better in my life. This is this inspires me to go out and be a better person. And so uh, at the end of Spencer's speech in the prison, there's an account in, in the article that says uh, a woman walked up to him and said, you have given these men a great gift. 
And I think not only has he given these men a gift, uh, that this story has been told, now he is affecting the nation. He is affecting BYU Sports Nation in a positive way. This setback can be generated for the greater good. Absolutely. And it's a redemption story now. It's not just, man, Spencer Hadley consumed alcohol, partied, may have had an NCAA violation. This, at least through Jeff Benedict, he's claiming that there's no NCAA violations, according to Spencer Hadley. There was alcohol consumption, and that's why there was this honor code violation. And that if Spencer Hadley meets the criteria, he can be back after five games. But more importantly, that he finds redemption as an individual. And that's mostly what this article is about. If you haven't read it, check it out on SI.com. It's by Jeff Benedict, and we'll hear from him in a few moments throughout mostly the rest of this show. That's right. Coming up on BYU Sports Nation, the co-author of The System, The Glory and Scandal of Big-Time College Football, Jeff Benedict, also the author behind Spencer Hadley's Sports Illustrated article. He's talking to us next. You're listening to BYU Sports Nation. This is BYU Sports Nation on the BYU Radio Sports Network. Welcome back to BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. Spencer Linton, Jerem Jordan here. You can follow us at Spencer underscore Linton and at Jerem Jordan. Join the show's ever-growing Twitter following at BYU Sports Nation. Let's get a quick poll update from our question today, Jerem. Okay, the question is, as I try and update the uh, website, I feel like McLovin on the Dan Patrick Show. He's never ready. (laughs) (laughs) Come on! Internet! Still loading. Please work. Please work. Which BYU defensive player not named Kyle Vanoy has the most NFL potential? Bronson Kafusi, Daniel Sorensen, Ethan Manu Maliona, Alani Fua. Uh, and so far, Bronson Kafusi is leading at 44%, followed by Daniel Sorensen, Ethan Manu Maliona, and Alani Fua. I said this during BYU's uh, game day replay of the Utah game, but there were NFL scouts in the Cougars camp recently. And uh, they said they would draft Daniel Sorensen right now for special teams alone. Wow. They would put him on special teams for that reason. They, that's why they would draft him. Wow. Uh, it tells you how good. That's impressive. And so, we saw a great play against Utah. He dives into the end zone, bats the ball back. How many have we seen from Last Daniel year, Sorensen? he and Riley Stevenson were at, Daniel Sorensen would go down and catch the punt. It was fantastic. Yeah. We recorded an interview with author Jeff Benedict last week when he was in town to talk about his new book he co-authored with Armin Katayan. Uh, in writing this book, Jeff was given all access, and I do mean all access. We also just discussed Spencer Hadley's article in Sports Illustrated, which Jeff Benedict authored. And uh, again, he did it just recently. He was here for the BYU-Utah game over the weekend and touring BYU's campus. Regardless, he definitely took a lot of time with us, and we're grateful for that, sat down and told us some intriguing things. I could listen to this guy forever. Uh, we began the interview asking Jeff about the unique setting and the things he enjoyed most in preparing and writing the BYU chapters in the system, the glory and scandal of big-time college football. Well, you know, it's interesting is BYU initially wasn't intended to be a big part of this book. They ended up, there's actually, uh, BYU has as big a footprint in the system as any college in the country. And uh, the reason that happened was actually more by accident. What we intended to do initially was to take Kyle Van Noy and just follow him through his junior season and watch him make the decision of whether to come out early and declare for the draft or stay in school and play his senior year. That's all we were interested in in the beginning. So I started coming out here to spend time with Kyle, 
And right away, uh, first game of the year, last year, BYU, Washington State, uh, when that game was over, by that time we'd done a few interviews. But the next day, we sat on the practice field at BYU. It was just him and I. And that's the day I asked him about how he got here. Now, I knew that he'd been had a DUI in high school and that I wasn't very interested in that, to be honest with you, because everybody knew that. It had been written about too many times. So I wasn't even going to ask him about that. He proceeded to volunteer that he'd had actually another scrape with the law. Now, I hadn't read that anywhere. And it became clear to me right away that he'd never talked about this with anybody. And But he was very upfront with me, and he told me all about it. And he told me that the story is terrific, really, was that he'd been arrested. It, it almost you know prevented him from being able to come here. Um, but he was allowed to come on a probationary you know, terms. If he sat out the first year, then he could come. Once all that was done, one month later, he had another incident. And that was the news for me. I thought, wow. And then so he got on a plane without telling anybody and basically flew up here and shows up at Bronco's office, knocks on the door. Bronco's excited, like, hey, Kyle, what are you doing here? And But as soon as he looks at his face, he realizes, oh, this is not good. I don't know what's happened, but it's not good. And then Kyle confesses and tells him what happened, and he's he's very open about it, as he was with me. He's very candid with Bronco. And then Bronco, rather than push him away, takes him in, meets with the AD, meets with the dean of students, and it never went past that. So here I am sitting in, this, in the practice field three years later. Kyle's now the man on this campus. I mean, when I drove here from Salt Lake that day, I'm looking at billboards all up and down the highway from Salt Lake City to Provo, and Kyle's the one all over him. He's the face of Brigham Young University. Three years ago, this was a guy who you think is never going to get into the university and who felt like he didn't fit in the university. And so that's what led me to start interviewing Bronco. And then I started spending more time with him. And the more I spent time with Bronco, I was realizing that this is a guy who just doesn't say anything. He he never opens up about anything. He's he's an introvert. Uh, I happen to like introverts, and I think people who don't say much are usually the people that have the most to say. If you could just get them to open up, you, you'll learn a lot. And uh, and Bronco opened up, and I did a lot of interviews with Bronco. We sat out on that practice field, him and I, and we would talk for long chunks of time about stuff that he'd never talked about. Partly because he'd never been asked about. I mean, I was asking him things. I asked him about, you know, a, a rape case that happened here when he was a defensive coordinator. He'd, he'd never been asked about that before. And we he talked very openly about that, you know, and, and then some of the issues with, with Kyle and then, and then a whole bunch of other things. And it's just started to come to life. And at that point, we said, okay, we need to expand what we're doing in the system to include more of Brigham Young University. At that point, Kyle's decision to turn pro or not was almost like a footnote to what we were doing. Jeff Benedict, uh, co-author of The System, The Glory, and The Scandal of Big Time College Football here on BYU Sports Nation. You are LDS. You didn't go to BYU. So you have a unique perspective on BYU's role in college football. And this is not a book about BYU. But, right. but like you mentioned, BYU is prominently placed. From your perspective, uh, given what you learned about BYU through the book, how is BYU perceived uh, nationally, not only for its play on the field, but the stuff that you put in this book that's off the field? Well, it's it depends where you are in the country. Like, we spend a lot of time in the SEC in this book. We have Alabama, we have Tennessee, we have LSU. We spend time up with Ohio State and Michigan. We're in the Pac-12. It depends what conference and region you're in 
on how you answer the question how BYU is perceived. In the SEC, people don't even care about BYU because they never play them. And or they rarely play an SEC right. team. So when you're in the Pac-12, well, now there's some teams there. Yeah. So it depends. I just the thing that stood out to us as we got around BYU is it was clearly a very different program. The more I was around the team and I traveled with the team a lot last year, and honestly, I'm not that interested in what they do on the field. That's the story for this whole book. We're trying to get behind that and get into the personalities. Who are the people, the coaches? What do they do when they're not on the field? You know, what, what makes these guys tick? When I was hanging around this team, that's what I'm watching for. And at, the longer I'm around them, I'm going, this, this team is really different than any other program I'm around. I'm around Washington State. I'm around Oklahoma State. We're at Texas. We're at Alabama. We're at Michigan. None of those programs are like this. One of them is because they got an honor code, you know, and the rules here are so different. I would equate it to almost playing with one hand behind your back because you can't – there's just a bunch of things you can't do here that you could do at every other school. You know, the, the rules are different here. And there's also kind of the, the what I'll call the, the Mormon bubble, which I think is, is a big factor here, is that college football players in general are in the spotlight. When you play at this school, there's like two spotlights. There's the NCA rules and all that business spotlight, and you're famous because you're a player. But there's also the honor code part that's basically the religion part. And so you have to – you're a football player who has to live like a monk, you know, and, and so if you if you have a sip of coffee, that could be an issue because if someone in Provo saw you coming out of a – I don't know if they have Starbucks in Provo. but they if do. someone Okay, so if someone, yeah, if someone <laughs> sees you coming out of one of those and they recognize you because you're on the football team, that could be a problem for you. At any other school, like I'll take a guy like Kyle Van Noy. If, if Kyle were a linebacker at Alabama or USC or Michigan, this is a guy you'd hold up as like the ultimate example of the – you know, model citizen football player. Here, he's a great football player, but in terms of the honor code, he's just like everybody else. It's like ho hum, and it shouldn't be ho hum. Like to be in his shoes and do and follow all those rules, because he's got a million temptations that the rest of the students don't have. They don't have agents coming up and offering them money. They don't have boosters. They don't have girls. They, there's like a million tripwires for these guys that are different. Jeff Benedict, co-author of The System, The Glory and Scandal of Big Time College Football, co-author with Armin Katayan. I'm trying to think of how much time you must have invested into this project, and it's making my head spin. Yeah. Can you go into uh, just how much went into it and how long it took to put together? We started this book in the fall of 2011 when we were sitting in a hotel room in Los Angeles. We'd been working on a story on gangs in college football for Sports Illustrated and CBS News. It was a collaborative project. I was doing the print stuff for the magazine. He was doing the TV stuff. We were sitting in the room, and I remember then I said to Armin, I go, you know, we should really be doing a book about this. We've been we've been in the trenches here for a year. And that was the night we, we first started talking about it, and then we started sketching it out. So that's 2011 fall. We're now in fall 2013. So it was two years from, you know, the idea to a book in print. 18 months of real hard time, and we started writing in January of this year, and we had to write like a freight train, you know, because we did the research through last year, a lot of it on the ground, real-time reporting, you know, in locker rooms, on team airplanes, in practice huddles, you know, following the things as they're happening. So you can't really write while you're doing that because at that point you're just gathering information. At the same time, we're at courthouses digging up 
you know, criminal case files. We're interviewing prosecutors and district attorneys from a case that happened three years ago. We're chasing down a witness. We were doing all that last year. And then when January got here, you got to start writing. And there's, you know, there's uh, four, 400 pages of stuff there and a lot of detail from a lot of places. So it's one of the – Armin's an extremely hard worker. Uh, I work hard. Um, you know, we did a lot of – many, many nights, four hours sleep, you know, um, just working around seven days a week, you know. Mormons aren't supposed to work on Sunday. I'll tell you something. I worked every Sunday for about six months. There's no way you can produce something like this and not do that because the time constraint was, okay, the season's over. We need a book in four months. Get to work, guys. I mean, so what are you going to do? Like take weekends off? You can't. And so that's how we worked. It was was absolutely insane, but worth every minute. I have to tell you, I am not much of a book reader. And my wife would be the first person to admit that. She saw me reading this book until 2 a.m. last night and was like, uh, what's wrong with you? Please come to bed. What, what has happened? Literally, I could not put it down. Very intriguing stuff. Again, the system, the glory and scandal of big time college football, co-authored by Jeff Benedict and Armin Kittayan. You've mentioned uh, your experiences and stories with Bronco Mendenhall and Kyle Vannoy. I know you also wrote about uh, Ziggy Ansah. What's something you can share with us from that experience that maybe you hadn't heard or didn't know? <laughs> well, I didn't know anything. I'd never heard of him. <laughs> uh, the, the nice thing about uh, being distant from a program like any of these programs, they're not familiar to us. And that's refreshing for BYU fans to see yeah. that. These are relevant, interesting stories nationally. Yeah, and, and so I don't know much about BYU. I just come out here and I'm, I'm following Kyle around. And the first game, Washington State-BYU game, was my first look at the roster, to be honest with you. And I was on the field like three hours before the game, walking around the stadium. I was actually walking around the stadium with Mike Leach because I was profiling him for the system. And when Mike got preoccupied, I started looking over the BYU roster just to, just to try to put numbers with names. And I saw uh, that they had a player from Ghana, and I thought, kicker. And uh, <laughs> and then I see size and height, not a kicker. And I, what is this guy? Who is this guy? And uh, so I started watching. I've been to Ghana. I know they don't play football in Ghana. They play soccer. And this guy is not a soccer player. And and I so the first night I I was really watching Kyle, but you know I noticed Ziggy didn't start, and he played a little bit that night. He did well when he was in there. A couple weeks later, it's Utah game. He doesn't start again, but he plays, and he's he's good. And then comes Boise State, and injury to the nose guard. In goes Ziggy, two stops behind the one-yard line, goal line stand. They hold him. Now Ziggy's a starter. And a couple weeks later, it's Georgia Tech. I was at that game, and one of the – you know, one of my colleagues at Sports Illustrated wrote a piece that week, a web piece that just said, you know, I don't know, 15 guys that are going to be on the draft board that you got to watch for, and there was Ziggy. I mean, I called my editor and I said, hey, this Ziggy guy, I said, I'm I'm traveling around with these BYU guys. I said, you know I'm here watching Kyle. I said, I, we should profile him in the magazine. This guy, this is an unbelievable that's story. That's that article. Yeah, that's why I SI. ended up writing that story while I was writing this book okay. because – and at that point, then I also called Armin, you know, f- from the system and I said, hey – you know, I think we, we should add Ziggy to the book because the one thing we didn't have in the book was we didn't have a walk-on. We had every other kind of facet to the system, but we didn't have a walk-on. And Ziggy's a walk-on. And so now Ziggy's in the system. And so by the two-thirds of the way through last season, I was shadowing Ziggy as much as I was shadowing Kyle. And um, and that's how he came in. And Ziggy's – one of my favorite scenes in the book is uh, – 
at the Poinsettia Bowl after the game, and I stayed on the field with Kyle because he was player of the game, and uh, his, it's his last game. I mean, everybody, including me, and he thinks it's his last game. So I stayed out there to watch him and do his post-game interview. And by the time Kyle finished up, the stadium was empty. I mean, the security guards had cleared out the fans, except for maybe 40 stragglers that were BYU fans down to watch the TV thing. The whole team was gone. I mean, they, and by the time Kyle got in the locker room, the locker room was empty. I mean, guys had showered and were gone, except for Ziggy. He was the only soul in the locker room. Hmm. And I had gotten special permission from Bronco to be in the locker room. And so I was in there, and here's this guy sitting in his, on a stool in full pads. I mean, the game's been over for like an hour. This guy hasn't even taken his cleats off. And it's like he's come to terms with the fact that this is my last game, and I don't want it to be. And it was, I mean, it was powerful. I walked in there. I walk in there with Kyle, not expecting to find anyone in there. And here's Ziggy, grass stains, mud, sweat, you know, just sitting there. And and on the wall is a sign about concussions posted by the NFL because we're in the Chargers locker room. And I'm thinking, that's where this guy's going. Like, in a year, he's going to be in one of these locker rooms, and it's not going to be a college locker room anymore. And so there were these, like, great moments, and then Bronco came in, and they put their arms around each other, and Ziggy finally took his gear off and went in the shower. And while he was in the shower, now it's just Kyle and Bronco. And I, I'm, like, in the corner just chronicling all this because this is the kind of stuff you want in a book, right? You're not going to read this anywhere else. And that's what we were trying to do in the system was tell – it's the stories like this that show you, like – the human side of football, like that's a great moment. You know, you have these two guys. These are the only two guys that scouts are paying attention to in BYU right now. It's Ziggy and Kyle. Amazing stuff from Jeff Benedict. That was a recorded interview that we did at the end of last week with the intent of airing it today. And then Jeff Benedict, who you heard just a moment ago, released the article on Spencer Hadley this morning on SI.com. If you missed it, make sure you read it. Uh, at Jerem Jordan, at Spender... Spender? I did it again. That's twice this at week. Spencer underscore Linton. We have both tweeted the link. At BYU Sports Nation has tweeted the link as well. Read this article on SI.com about Spencer Hadley because it plays perfectly into what he said, which is BYU is more about um, building men than it is... Uh, you know, producing NFL prospects. And, of course, BYU wants to win, but they want to do it a certain way. More from Jeff Benedict coming up. Yeah, the acclaimed author who contributes heavily to SportsIllustrated.com on features. Plus, more with Spender, myself, and Jabum, other known as Jerem. Uh, we also have Jeff Benedict on tomorrow to recap and uh, kind of delve into this Spencer Hadley situation. He will join BYU Sports Nation tomorrow. Keep it here for more with us. We're back after this. This is BYU Sports Nation. This is BYU Sports Nation on the home of the BYU Cougars, BYU Radio. Welcome back to BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio with Jerem Jordan and Spender Linton. <laughs> Friday, BYU Radio and BYU TV have the Cougars and Blue Raiders covered. BYU Radio's pregame starts at 7 p.m. Eastern time. BYU TV's countdown to kickoff starts at 8 p.m. Eastern. The game's on ESPNU and BYU Radio at 9. This postgame coverage live on BYU TV and BYU Radio. Friday, game day. That's right. You are in Middle Tennessee. I think more people are going to refer to me as Spender than Spencer now. <laughs> Thanks, Jerome. You're fired. <laughs> 
We are live with Jeff Benedict, co-author of The System, The Glory, and Scandal of Big Time College Football, also the author of uh, really an article that within the BYU Sports Nation community has gone viral about Spencer Hadley and his recent suspension. He will join us live tomorrow at the top of the show on BYU Sports Nation. There are a lot of great stories that he delves into along with Armin Katayan in that new book. Uh, you can get copies of it at any major book retailer. Uh, Really good stuff about Mike Leach, who's an interesting character in college football, to say the least, and a guy who has ties to BYU through rugby. We'll start the second half of this taped interview with Benedict telling us some of the interesting stuff in the system about Leach, including his first date at BYU. Mike's one of my favorite characters in the system. I, I spent more time with Mike than probably any single individual in the book. Uh, and we decided to open the book with Mike. Chapter one is Mike Leach as a college student here at BYU in the early 80s. Jim McMahon's the quarterback. Laval's obviously the coach. And uh, he's a, a college student who's sitting in the stands. He'd won a contest that gave him season tickets. And he's there every game taking notes, watching Lavelle, uh, dreaming about being a coach. And not just dreaming about it because one of the scenes we have is his first date here in Provo with a girl he met here who was also a student at BYU, and they go to the A&W root beer shop. And uh, imagine your first date, and you know he starts talking about coaching. And I interviewed his wife uh, multiple times for the book, and Sharon said you know, she could tell then that this wasn't just an armchair quarterback, pipe dream kind of guy, that he, he was going to be a coach. And it's interesting because he never played college football, uh, he played rugby here at BYU, but the stories that we have on Mike are absolutely great. We take him from college student at BYU up through graduation, and then you know we t- we track him to Texas Tech where he takes over as coach. And uh, you you love the stories about Leach. Uh, there's a great moment where he's a Texas Tech coach, and uh, they're they're really good by this time. And uh, one night he's in his office doing what he does, which is stay up all night watching film, drinking coffee. That's what Mike. That's Mike Leach, right? The pirate. The pirate's got his big, you know, huge coffee cup, and he's up alone at <laughs> night watching film. That's that's Mike. And he said one night, it's one o'clock in the morning. I'm in my office at Texas Tech, and I you know, I stand up to stretch and get a little break. And he says, I I open the blinds in my office, look outside, and I, I can see a shadow moving out on the practice field. And he says, I thought there was a prowler in the in the facilities because it's all closed and locked down. He says, so I got down there and you to go find out who's down there. And he says, I got close enough and I'm looking close. And he says, when I got there, I see orange cones and there's a guy running, zigging and zagging through the cones. And I got close enough. He's like, Michael. And, and it was Michael Crabtree, you know, the best receiver in the country, one o'clock in the morning alone in the dark, running routes through cones. And, uh, Michael stops and says, well, yeah, you know, I was in my room. I couldn't sleep. And I just thought if I came out here and worked on this cut, you know, I do this and I could be open. And and Leach just leaves him there. He says he turned around and went back inside. And that was the kind of relationship they had. They never really said much to each other, but they really had a bond. And, of course, Crabtree goes on to become – he's now one of the best receivers in the NFL. And uh, he helped them knock off number one Texas that year, which took Texas Tech to the number – two or three ranking in the country. And so Mike gave us some great insights. And uh, I like him because he's colorful. You know, he's a guy who he's very authentic and we reveal him exactly like he is. That's what you hope to do as an author. Just be yeah. fair to that situation. Yeah. Yep. And it's it's a lot of fun. 
You wrote an entire chapter on Boone Pickens, and if you're not familiar with him, uh, he's heavily involved with Oklahoma State, right. very successful businessman, uh, spent time on the Forbes 500 list uh, as as one of the wealthiest people in America. Intriguing stuff there. How did that all begin? Well, Boone is uh, – There's the saying goes that there's two teams in college football that have owners, Oregon in Oklahoma State. You know, you got Knight and Nike up at Oregon, and you got T. Boone Pickens and Oil down in Oklahoma State. One of the things we wanted in the system was a chapter on a booster, and we figured we might as well go for the top. And what we were looking for was this is one of those chapters where it's like an action-packed chapter. And so I asked uh, Boone if he'd let me travel with him for a weekend. I just want to go everywhere you go. And so I showed up at his office in Dallas on a Friday. It's game it's game weekend. They're playing Texas. This is like the game. And so I go to Dallas where he has his big hedge, his oil and gas hedge fund. Met him there. Um, he he. We pulled out of the parking lot of his office. We're going to go to his private jet at the Dallas airport. And right away, it's fun. Like the minute you get in Boone's car, this guy drives like he's on, you know, the Indianapolis 500. <laughs> Everything's fast. He's 85 right 85, now. 85, and he's like barreling through the streets to get to the airport. I mean, I was like, holy cow, I need to strap in, you know. And, and so we get, to the, we get to the airport, and he's got his security code. He punches in. We get there, and he's, his plane's ready. He's got some friends, you know, that, that are going to ride with us. We get on the plane. We fly to his ranch in the panhandle of Texas. He's got a ranch that's it's, it's as big as – it's, yeah, it's bigger than Provo. I mean, wow! Literally, it's huge, and uh, it's his place. You know, that's where he goes on game weekends. It's fabulous. You get there, and BYU played Hawaii that night because I watched it in his home theater. <laughs> In nice. this big place. And uh, we, he has a big dinner he puts on for the people that are going to go to the game with him. It's just a completely different experience for watching college football. Game day, there's shooting and hunting and driving around the reserve. And you do all that. He's even got his own church or chapel on his on his ranch. I went to the chapel before we went to the game. Then we get in the plane again and you fly to Stillwater, Oklahoma, where the game is. And it's interesting to me when you fly into the runway – the, Stillwater is a small airport. The, the runway is packed with private jets because now that Boone has built a new stadium, suddenly anybody who's got money and likes Oklahoma State and, and plus now they're playing Texas. So you got all these oil men and all these guys with money flying their planes into Stillwater to watch a game. Wow. And that, that did not happen there 10 years ago. That's the impact he's had on the game. And then we watched the game from his box and it was frankly – one of the funnest weekends of my of working on the system was sitting there watching Boone be Boone, and I mean to sit on the fifty yard line in his box and and eat filet mignon and sautéed spinach <laughs> with Twist mushrooms. Twist my arm, yeah. It's like fine. Uh, I'll come with you. I I got out of there that night and Texas won the game on a controversial call. And uh, when I left, I said goodbye to Boone there, and he got on his jet, and then I had to get a car and go to the airport to fly somewhere else. I called Armin, and I said, Armin, you're not going to believe what happened here. And I was telling my story. And as I hung up, he goes, well, let me tell you what happened to me tonight. He was down in Baton Rouge for the LSU-Towson game, which should have been like 73 to nothing. And Towson almost won. And so we had experiences like that. We're working on this that, you know, 
you can't make it up. And so that's we we picked those scenes to try to give you, you know, just to break it up to a little bit is just give you a little different flavor. You compare that to the college students who pay whatever they pay to get their tickets and their faces are painted and they got swords in their hands and they're screaming and yelling, they're <laughs> drinking beer. You got that crowd, right? There's that group and then you got Boone. It's like a and their their love for college football is equal. And then there's everybody in between. Hmm. Such a great unifier. I mean the sport that's a huge understatement. Chatting with Jeff Benedict, co-author of The System, The Glory and Scandal of Big Time College Football. I uh, wanted to ask you about one chapter uh, that I'm actually in the middle of right now, reading about The Closer at Tennessee. Certain schools have a unique way of trying to get guys to their school using students. Using sex. I mean, that's really what they're doing in this situation is that um, the sex appeal of using pretty girls who are – think about it this way. And we use Tennessee because Tennessee was the one school that had been brought into an NCA investigation because of the misuse of hostesses. But basically what they're selling is sex appeal. So if you're in the SEC and you got Tennessee and you got Alabama, you got Auburn, all these schools have great stadiums. They have big Nike contracts. They're on television every week. You got all so all being equal, what what's the difference maker? It can be the girl. And so you have a seventeen year old kid who's a he's a juvenile. By law, this is a minor coming to campus for a visit. What do you do? You give him a date with a woman. I mean, you you give him a 21-year-old woman to take him around. And not just any woman, but a pretty woman. That's a, I mean, think about that. How many kids in high school when they're 17 get to go on a date with a 21-year-old girl who looks beautiful? That's what they do. And they spend way more time with the girl than they do with any coach when they're on a recruiting visit. They're not hanging around with Lane Kiffin at 10 o'clock at night. They're hanging around with a hostess. So Lacey Pearl Earps is a hostess who was nicknamed the closer after the television character uh, because she could close deals that would get the number one recruits in the country to come to Tennessee. And she was so good at it that one of the coaches started calling her that, and then that became her name. And then she gets in trouble because uh, the Kiffin staff – sends her to a high school to watch a game, and they cross state lines, and they bring signs, and they go too far. And uh, when the NCAA starts snooping around and the New York Times does a story that Tennessee is being investigated, these girls get thrown under the bus. You know, uh, Lane Kiffin calls her up and says, you know, my dad has the, you know, the 48-hour rule. The press will forget about this. Just this will pass. Well, this doesn't pass. And it doesn't pass for her. And it doesn't pass for the other girl. And and pretty soon Lane Kiffin and his staff literally run out of town and go to USC. And these girls are left to deal with this whole mess and they lose their jobs. They lose their reputations. And they're portrayed in the papers as kind of smutty girls. And so we what we did with them was show that these girls were not smutty girls. And they, in fact, they didn't sleep with any players. There was no proof that they ever slept with single recruit. They might have led players to believe that if you come here, this could happen after you get here. And that's done at a lot of schools. And so they Skype till 4 in the morning and they do all these things. That's the new recruiting that goes on with social media. And it's we did a whole chapter on it. And then you juxtapose that with the way that Bronco Mendenhall runs his BYU program. And that is, that's kind of what I got from this book is there are certain things that happen nationally and then – BYU, and you'd like to think that uh, you know it happens consistently, but they do it a different way. They try and do it a different way. Yeah, they, BYU has a different approach that you just see. Uh, I mean, perfect example. Like every Friday night on a game before a Saturday game, the team goes off and does you know a spiritual chat 
uh, in some chapel where they talk to fellow Mormons. Uh, or before a home game, they go to the Utah penitentiary and spend an hour with inmates. I mean, you're getting ready to play Utah, and you're spending Friday night in prison talking to inmates before you go play Utah? I mean, who else does stuff like that? I'm not saying it's weird. It's not weird. It's just very, very different. And I think what I like about it, you know, frankly, is that it's it's more of the well-rounded. It's in other words, these guys aren't just pieces of meat that come through the program, beat them up, spit them out in four years, and here come the next guys. I think the coach here really does. You realize that there's a hundred guys here with football uniforms on every weekend. There's one that's being watched by NFL scouts. One. There's 99 guys here that will not make a living playing football. But in four years, their bodies will be in such a condition that for the rest of their lives, they will remember that they played football here because they'll wake up with achy backs and sore knees and hips that don't work right and concussions if they had them. So I think you got a coach here who realizes that what we're building here is not NFL players. We're building men. And there's more to being a man than being a football player. You know, that's... And I find that very refreshing. It's different. That was Jeff Benedict recorded last week here on BYU Sports Nation uh, talking about his book, The System. Great insight, and I really loved that last soundbite where he talks about the way that BYU does things is different. Uh, he said, and I find that refreshing. It's different. BYU is a different place. And his article this morning that came out that just happens to coincide with us playing back these interviews today. Dumb luck. What? Fits in perfectly. The Spencer Hadley story is a redemption story. Read it on SI.com. And if you missed it, just some of the big stuff. An incredible experience outlined in detail, first-person account by Jeff at the Utah State Prison where inmates are cheering for BYU and Spencer Hadley speaks to them and just an emotional experience. Also, Spencer Hadley speaks for the first time, talks about uh, no NCA violations there, that he did consume alcohol uh, on multiple occasions in Las Vegas at parties and was there as recently as two weeks ago, but was going to talk to Coach Mendenhall about it. Then uh, the Utah fan sent the email to compliance. The photo came out, which was taken by the summer during the way, by the way. Uh, and so make sure you read that article. It's a redemption story, and it is really good stuff. And Jeff Benedict, the author of that article, will join BYU Sports Nation tomorrow at the top of the show. Don't miss it. Live, great stuff from an acclaimed author. And uh, I, I think I said it during the interview. Uh, I could sit and listen to him for a long time. He has he has amazing stories because he has unparalleled access. Yeah, I I'm here. I've been here for seven years, and I thought, man, I've never had that kind of conversation with Kyle Vanoy. That's great stuff. Yeah. So really, really uh, fun to have Jeff Benedict on the show. Jeremy, you know things that, quite frankly, it makes me worry that you know them. I that, can't. That's... I can't tell you everything I know. <laughs> I don't. I don't know very much. I'm just kidding. You know what I know, though? What's that? We've got an in-studio guest. Yes, we do. Ladies and gentlemen, introducing Jaden Thornock of the 17th-ranked women's soccer team. At Jaden MT? Yeah. Right? Yep. Okay. Don't be bashful, Jaden. Yep. BYU Sports Nation debut. Uh, She scored the game winner against Oklahoma. If you don't know much about that game, take you back to Thursday. BYU trailed uh, Oklahoma 2 to nothing. With seven minutes to play over the next four minutes and 56 seconds? Four minutes, 42 seconds. Four minutes, 42 seconds. BYU rattles off three goals. Jaden, of course, scoring the third one. Let's let's go back to that moment. Um, you have had kind of up to this point been frustrated a little bit. You were looking for that first goal. Yeah. 
when it went through and it was to put you up against Oklahoma, what was the sensation like? Scoring a goal in this collegiate setting, there's nothing like it. And of course, it's exhilarating. But because of the setting that particular game was in with us being tied and two or so minutes left to be able to score that game winning goal for my team in this program, we really needed that win against Oklahoma. So it's exhilarating. And with your teammates rushing towards you and hugging you and cheering, it's there's no feeling like it in the world. And you look at the crowds that have showed up to yeah. play here. When the, the past couple of years, BYU has continued to set a record for single-game crowds in the 4,700 range. All of a sudden, you add bleachers to the west side. You're getting more than 5,000 people showing up to these games. What's that like? Yeah. Um, it's really hard to explain the feeling of having so many people watching you, not only live, but on TV as well. Um, last year, like you said, our record was in the 4,000 range or low 5,000. And to have all these people show up this year to cheer us on and to be so excited to watch us, it's like, wow, like with all of these people believing in us, it's hard not to believe in ourselves. It's really great to have all that fan support. There were people sitting on top of the roof of the Smithfield house. It's amazing where people are. During the Nebraska game, people like holding themselves up over the fence. (laughs) Yeah. Little kids being on shoulders of parents and everything. There's people back behind our bench standing up on chairs like, how can you even see? But people are great. Jaden has, talking with Jaden Thornock, star of BYU women's soccer team, uh, they are number 17 in the latest NSCAA poll. They host number 14 Denver, or actually number 19 Denver, that, who just dropped down tomorrow, uh, 7 p.m. Mountain Time. On that, BYU you Radio. Can listen to that on BYU Radio. Jaden, let's talk about your team. You had that emotional victory over Oklahoma, yeah. come back to win 3-2. to two. Then you go and have a tough road trip two days later at Long Beach. You lose. What's the status of the team right now after a tough loss like that? We're just moving forward. We, we had a team meeting with Jen, and she just said, you know what, you guys? We did lose this game, but we're a great team, and we don't need to think about that. We can come out, and we can play, and we need to build that confidence that we had in that game against Oklahoma and remember – all these amazing players that we have, and we're all excited. We're ready to get back out on the field and redeem ourselves and prove to the nation that we are a, a top 20 team and that we can play against good teams and get good results. You can certainly do that with uh, Denver and also Baylor, another ranked team, which uh, are two of your next games. And those are the last two non-conference games before you start uh, the tough WCC schedule. You guys were the champs last year, Elite Eight run, one of the funnest seasons I've seen. of a, you know, for, those, for the BYU fans that just pay attention to football and men's basketball, I think that a lot of them jumped on the bandwagon and really enjoyed that run. It, but it, like you mentioned, it's a different team this year. Mm-hmm. How much of the identity have you guys figured out of Okay, we're not that team, but we're capable of being really good, too. Yeah. Like, you, you, you said great. Yeah. We, we have our own identity this year. Obviously, like you said, we were a great team last year, and we were able to achieve great things. But this year, we have a different mindset. We have different players out on the field, as long as some veterans who are returning. But we just, we're here to prove that we're not last year's team. We're a new team, and we're able to, like you said, achieve great things, and um, we're working on that game by game. I mean, like you said, we had a tough loss against Long Beach, but we're, we're excited to play these last two games before conference, and then we're excited to go out and prove that we, we can win a conference championship again. It's not a one-and-done type of thing. Third in the preseason poll. I thought that was just a slap in the face yeah. for the WCC. 
Motivation, baby. <laughs> Exactly. I love it. The 17th-ranked women's soccer team back in action Thursday night against 19th-ranked Denver. You can listen 9 p.m. Eastern time right here on BYU Radio. Thanks to Jaden Thornock, Jeff Benedict, our guest today on BYU Sports Nation, our entire crew, producer Ben Bagley, senior coordinator, producer Michael Miner, BYU Radio station manager Don Shaline, production assistants Alan Miller and Spencer King, and our engineer Aaron Evans. Oh, by the way, tomorrow, Jerem. Jeff Benedict, art, uh, author of the article uh, on Spencer Adley, will join us tomorrow, as well as Vice Kahema. Check out archived episodes of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio's YouTube channel every afternoon for Spencer, Spender, Linton, and Jerem Jordan. (laughs) Thanks for uh, listening to BYU Sports Nation. We'll see you tomorrow, 12 Eastern on BYU Radio.